Hello, and welcome to NICU Boot Camp. This is Dr. Kirsty Martin, second-year neonatology fellow at the University of Massachusetts in Worcester, Massachusetts. NICU Boot Camp is a high-yield curriculum for residents and medical students who will be rotating through the NICU at UMass. This series is meant to help you feel more comfortable and confident during your upcoming rotation. These podcasts have been adapted from the open access lectures published with the paper Neonatal Intensive Care Unit Boot Camp, a preparatory curriculum for residents by Dr. Jeffrey Surkoff and colleagues at Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center in New Orleans, Louisiana. The originally published curriculum can be found online at MedEd Portal, the Journal of Teaching and Learning Resources of the Association of American Medical Colleges. The objectives for this episode of NICU Boot Camp are to understand basic pulmonary mechanics and basic methods of respiratory support and management in the NICU. We will also discuss blood gases and how they relate to respiratory support in the NICU. First, we will go over some key points to remember while you are managing respiratory support for infants in the NICU. Goals for blood gas parameters and oxygen saturations vary by patient depending on their size, gestational age, and underlying disease process. Overventilation or hyperoxia may be just as detrimental as underventilation or hypoxia. For example, a micropremie has a carbon dioxide level of 23. This abnormal carbon dioxide level can dramatically decrease cerebral blood flow in an infant who is already at risk for intraventricular hemorrhage due to the lack of autoregulation of their cerebral blood pressure. Every breath with any respiratory support is abnormal and may result in trauma to the airway and lung parenchyma. Because of this, our goal should be to support the infant's respiratory status with the minimum amount of support needed. Each breath results in the removal of carbon dioxide, which is called ventilation, and intake of oxygen, which is called oxygenation. Although ventilation and oxygenation occur simultaneously with each breath, these processes are separate. Because of this, some pulmonary parameters may alter ventilation without altering oxygenation and vice versa. Some pulmonary parameters will alter both ventilation and oxygenation. Let's talk briefly about pulmonary mechanics. The inhalation of air results in pressure delivered to the airway to fill the lungs with air. This allows for carbon dioxide and oxygen to diffuse across the alveolar capillary interface. Tidal volume is the volume of air exchanged between inhalation and exhalation. Normal tidal volume for a neonate is 5 to 8 mLs per kilogram. In certain modes of mechanical ventilation, you can control the tidal volume you are giving to an infant who is intubated. Use caution with using higher tidal volumes in these situations. Tidal volumes greater than 10 milliliters per kilogram are high and may result in volutrauma or pneumothorax. The pressure that exists at the peak of inspiration is the maximal pressure the lung will see. This is called peak inspiratory pressure, or PIP. The amount of PIP needed depends on infant size and underlying pulmonary disease. In certain modes of mechanical ventilation, you can control the PIP you are giving to an infant who is intubated. Use caution with using high PIPs as well. PIPs greater than 25 in an intubated, newly born premature infant may also result in barotrauma or pneumothorax. PEEP is the positive end expiratory pressure or the pressure in the lungs that is present at the end of expiration. Physiologic PEEP is usually around 4 to 5 centimeters of water. FiO2 is the fraction of inspired oxygen or the percentage of oxygen you are providing through the ventilator. It will be some number greater than or equal to 21%, which is the fraction of inspired oxygen that is present in the ambient air. 
Rate is the frequency of ventilation, which is the number of breaths given per minute. Inhalation is an active process. The time this takes to occur is called the eye time. The eye time is set typically at 0.35 to 0.45 seconds. Exhalation is the emptying of lung volume and is a passive process, taking longer than inspiration. It is called the e-time. The e-time is not something that is set, it is the passive time needed to exhale. The i-time plus the e-time equals the time it takes to complete one breath. The longer you set your i-time, the shorter time you will have for exhalation or e-time. Mean airway pressure, or MAP, is the average airway pressure during one complete vent cycle. MAP will be a continuously changing number displayed on the conventional ventilator depending on the compliance of the lungs. MAP will be a parameter that is set and manually changed when using high-frequency oscillating ventilation. The oxygen content of the blood is largely determined by optimal ventilation perfusion matching, or VQ matching. This can be achieved by adjusting the mean airway pressure and hemoglobin concentration of the blood. The most effective way to increase the mean airway pressure is to increase PEEP. Increasing the PIP or the eye time will contribute to a lesser extent. These interventions may have risks. Increasing PEEP above a critical point may impede venous return to the heart due to overexpansion of the lungs and subsequent compression of the heart and surrounding vessels. Increasing eye time above a critical point may lead to inadequate expiratory time, which will worsen ventilation. The total oxygen content of the blood is equal to the amount of oxygen bound to hemoglobin plus a small contribution of the dissolved oxygen, or PaO2. Even though the PaO2 contributes a small amount to the total oxygen content of the blood, it determines how saturated the hemoglobin can be because the hemoglobin can only bind up what is dissolved in the blood. If there is a high amount of dissolved oxygen molecules in the blood, there will be more oxygen that can bind to hemoglobin. Ventilation determines carbon dioxide removal. Carbon dioxide rapidly diffuses from the blood into the alveoli much more quickly than oxygen diffuses from the alveoli into the blood. Its elimination largely depends on the total amount of gas that goes through the alveoli, or minute ventilation. Minute ventilation is calculated by multiplying the respiratory rate by the tidal volume of each breath. Factors that alter each of these values will change the minute ventilation and therefore the ventilation. Ways to increase ventilation, or decrease PaCO2, include increasing the rate or increasing the tidal volume by increasing the PIP or by decreasing the PEEP. To summarize, to increase the oxygenation in an infant who is mechanically ventilated, you can consider increasing the PEEP, the PIP, or the eye time, all of which will increase your mean airway pressure, or MAP. You can also increase the FiO2. To increase the ventilation, you can consider increasing the tidal volume, PIP, or rate. All of these factors will increase your minute ventilation, which is respiratory rate times tidal volume, and will result in increased elimination of CO2. Next, let's talk some more specifics about mechanical ventilation. Of note, we rarely have infants who are intubated for mechanical ventilation in our unit. 
This is because we aim to place a ram cannula on all premature infants less than 32 weeks immediately in the delivery room so that we can start non-invasive positive pressure ventilation or continuous positive airway pressure through this cannula. We do this because damage caused by lung overdistension such as volutrauma or barotrauma via intubation and mechanical ventilation have been implicated in the development of bronchopulmonary dysplasia or BPD. Early, non-invasive positive pressure combined with early selective surfactant administration has been shown to decrease BPD in premature infants. Exogenous pulmonary surfactant decreases the surface tension in the alveoli of the premature lung, which prevents collapse and atelectasis and promotes gas exchange. We will talk more about non-invasive strategies later. When using mechanical ventilation, the goal is to use the lowest amount of volume or pressure necessary to achieve adequate oxygenation and ventilation. This will reduce the amount of volutrauma or barotrauma to the infant's lungs and hopefully decrease the risk of BPD. The two most commonly used types of conventional mechanical ventilation in our unit are pressure control ventilation and volume guarantee ventilation. For pressure control ventilation, the PIP is set on the ventilator and will result in variable tidal volumes being measured based on the infant's changing lung compliance. Compliance equals change in volume divided by change in pressure. Parameters that are set on the ventilator include rate, PIP, PEEP, FiO2, eye time, and pressure support. The rate is usually set at a rate of about 20 to 40 breaths per minute. The rate will be adjusted based on the status of the infant's ventilation. The PIP is the maximum pressure achieved during one breath. The PIP is adjusted by one to two centimeters of water at a time to achieve effective gas exchange. Maximum PIP is determined by infant size, chest wall excursion, exhaled tidal volumes, and lung expansion on x-ray. The PEEP is usually started at five centimeters of water but can range from four to seven centimeters of water. The FiO2 will be some number greater than or equal to 21%. The eye time is usually 0.35 to 0.4. When the ventilator is not due to deliver a full ventilator breath and the infant initiates a breath on their own, pressure support is given and aids the infant in overcoming the resistance of the endotracheal tube and ventilator tubing. Without pressure support, it would be similar to breathing through a straw and may result in infant tiring or becoming agitated. Typical values are six to 10 centimeters of water. In pressure ventilation, the parameters that are measured include tidal volume and the mean airway pressure. Tidal volume and MAP readings can be found on the ventilator screen. Remember that 5 to 8 milliliters per kilogram is the goal for tidal volume. If the mean airway pressure is very high and the infant is not improving, you may consider switching the infant to high-frequency oscillating ventilator. For pressure control ventilation, we will typically say that the infant is on a pressure control ventilation of 20 over 6 times 30 with a pressure support of 8, which means a PIP of 20, PEEP of 6, rate of 30, and pressure support of 8. The other commonly used mode of ventilation is volume guarantee. In this mode of ventilation, the tidal volume is set on the ventilator and will result in variable peak inspiratory pressures to generate that tidal volume based on the infant's lung compliance. The set tidal volume is given for every breath that the infant takes, whether that breath is ventilator initiated or infant initiated. Parameters that are set in volume guarantee ventilation include rate, tidal volume, PEEP, FiO2, eye time, and max PIP. 
The setting of parameters is generally the same as pressure ventilation. Here you will set a tidal volume of about 5 to 8 milliliters per kilogram. You can then observe the PIP needed to obtain the set tidal volume. The great thing about volume guarantee ventilation is that it allows the infant to auto-wean the PIP needed to obtain a certain tidal volume. As lung compliance improves, you can see the PIP needed to obtain a certain tidal volume decrease. For example, a newly born 23-week infant is placed on a volume guarantee ventilator with a set tidal volume of 5 milliliters per kilogram per breath with a PEEP of 5 and a rate of 30. Initially, the average PIP needed to obtain a tidal volume of 5 milliliters per kilogram is 22. Over the course of 24 hours, you see that the average PIP has decreased to 16. Without changing the ventilator parameters, the infant is seeing less pressure to the lungs, which reduces barotrauma. This infant is likely ready for extubation to non-invasive positive pressure ventilation. An important note about volume guarantee ventilation is that changing the rate will not help change ventilation if the infant is already breathing over the ventilator, which is common. If the set rate is 30, but the ventilator says that the infant is breathing 45 times per minute, which is a sum of spontaneous and mechanical ventilator breaths, you will not increase ventilation by increasing the rate to 40 because the infant is already receiving 45 fully supported breaths per minute. If this infant is not breathing over the ventilator, increasing or decreasing your rate can change ventilation. Let's talk about the High Frequency Oscillating Ventilator, or HiFi. Indications for the use of HiFi include failure to ventilate and or oxygenate with conventional ventilation, dangerously high pressure requirements on the conventional ventilator, or air leak syndrome including pneumothorax or pulmonary interstitial emphysema. This mode of support provides ventilation at very rapid rates with low tidal volumes by oscillating a piston. The tidal volume is equal to or less than dead space. This results in both active inspiration and exhalation. One of the parameters that is set for HiFi is the mean airway pressure, or MAP. This setting will affect the oxygenation and determines lung expansion and alveolar recruitment. A good starting point for MAP when switching from the conventional ventilator is to set the MAP 1 to 2 centimeters of water higher than the value measured on the conventional ventilator. After the map is initially set, x-rays are used to determine if expansion is appropriate. X-rays are usually checked at least every 8 to 12 hours when beginning HiFi. The goal is to see a 9 to 10 rib expansion with rounded diaphragms on x-ray. The map is adjusted by 0.5 to 1 centimeter of water at a time. Overexpansion with flattened diaphragms and or a narrow heart may cause low blood pressure due to decrease in venous return to the heart. Over or under expansion may cause ineffective ventilation, which is why it is important to follow x-rays and adjust the map accordingly. The amplitude, delta P, or power, is another setting on HiFi. The amplitude will determine the tidal volume for the patient. Just like the conventional ventilator, if you increase your tidal volume, you will increase ventilation and decrease your PaCO2. 
On hi-fi, if you increase the amplitude, you will in turn increase the tidal volume and increase the ventilation. This change is squared when on hi-fi. Therefore, small changes in amplitude can have a big impact on ventilation when using hi-fi. We usually adjust the amplitude by one or two based on PaCO2. When initially setting the amplitude, adjusting the amplitude until you observe chest wiggle down to the abdomen is the goal. Frequency is another parameter that is set on hi-fi. It can also be referred to as the rate or hertz. One hertz is equal to one breath per second or 60 breaths per minute. Therefore, 10 hertz is equal to 600 breaths per minute. The goal is to provide optimal gas exchange without air trapping. Optimal range depends on the infant's size and what their disease process is. Smaller babies with RDS ventilate better at a higher frequency such as 15 hertz. Bigger term infants who have meconium aspiration ventilate better at lower frequencies such as 10 to 12 hertz. In general, we do not change the frequency until we have maximized the ventilation benefits of increasing the amplitude. Let's talk about troubleshooting an infant who is intubated for mechanical ventilation. When there is an acute worsening of the oxygenation or ventilation, use the mnemonic DOPE to troubleshoot the causes. The D in DOPE stands for displacement of the tube. The endotracheal tube is typically placed to a depth of 6 centimeters plus the infant's weight. For a 1 kilogram infant, the endotracheal tube should be placed to a depth of 7 centimeters. Check and confirm where the ET tube is supposed to be secured based on the chest x-ray obtained after the initial intubation. Ask what the centimeter mark at the lip is and compare this to what was charted by respiratory therapy or the provider intubating the infant or the patient's expected lip-to-tip measurement. The O in DOPE stands for obstruction. Does this patient have very thick secretions or is the tube kinked? Ask if the patient has been suctioned. Consider suctioning the patient again. Did the suction catheter pass easily? Exogenous surfactant administration and thick secretions can cause tube obstruction. The P in DOPE stands for pneumothorax. Examine the infant. Does the baby have equal breath sounds? Is the infant becoming hemodynamically unstable? If you suspect a pneumothorax, obtain an x-ray or ask for a transilluminator. The E in DOPE stands for equipment failure. Always make sure everything is connected and working properly. Lastly, some patients have worsening of oxygenation and ventilation if they are agitated. Sedation may help in these patients. Next, let's talk about non-invasive positive pressure ventilation, or NIPV, and continuous positive airway pressure, or CPAP. These modalities are the mainstay of our respiratory support in the UMass NICU. To deliver these modes of ventilation, we use a RAM cannula, which is a thick nasal cannula designed to occlude 60 to 80% of the nair space. Because the entirety of the nair is not occluded, the infant's lungs will not see the full pressures that we set on the ventilator when giving NIPV or CPAP. For NIPV, a PIP, PEEP, and a RATE are delivered, similar to pressure control ventilation while an infant is intubated, except through a ram cannula instead of an endotracheal tube. For CPAP, only a PEEP is delivered through the ram cannula. This continuous positive airway pressure allows the alveoli of our premature infants to stay open to promote gas exchange and prevent atelectasis. For all infants who are born less than 32 weeks, we place a ram cannula immediately after birth to start early NIPV or CPAP depending on their gestational age. 
They are only intubated in the delivery room if they are not breathing spontaneously or if their heart rate does not rise with appropriate positive pressure ventilation given via mask ventilation per the neonatal resuscitation protocol. We keep all infants on CPAP until at least 32 weeks, as this has been shown to increase lung volume development as older children. If you have worked in other NICUs before, you may notice that the non-invasive pressures we use at UMass are higher than those you are used to. Our low NIPFI settings are generally PIPs of 25 to 28 with a PEEP of 7 to 8 and a rate of 30 to 40. We will go as high as a PIP of 32 with a PEEP of 10. Our standard CPAP setting is 8. let's talk about blood gases. Blood gases help us determine the acid-base status of an infant and show us whether a derangement in pH is due to a ventilation problem, a metabolic problem, or both. The first number in a blood gas is the pH. This tells us whether the patient is acidotic or alkalotic. Normal pH ranges from 7.35 to 7.45. The pH is affected by the amount of carbon dioxide and bicarbonate in the blood. The second number reported on the blood gas is the carbon dioxide level. Normal levels range from 35 to 45 millimeters of mercury. The third number in a blood gas is the amount of oxygen in the blood. This number is only valuable with arterial blood gases. In general, PaO2 values of 50 to 80 millimeters of mercury are adequate to meet metabolic demands and limit the need for high concentrations of supplemental oxygen that may cause lung injury. The fourth number in a blood gas is the bicarbonate level. Bicarbonate is an anion in the blood that helps to buffer acid. The normal range for bicarbonate is 22 to 26 millimoles per liter. The last number recorded on a blood gas is the base excess or deficit. This number helps determine the metabolic status of the infant. A negative number or deficit implies more metabolic acidosis. A positive number or excess implies more metabolic alkalosis. Blood gas samples can be from an arterial, capillary, or venous sample. An arterial sample is the most reliable, though obtaining an arterial sample is not always practical. Most samples are obtained via capillary method unless an arterial line is in place. Let's talk about acid-base status. pH is used to determine whether a patient is acidotic or alkalotic. A pH less than 7.35 is considered acidotic. A pH greater than 7.45 is considered alkalotic. An abnormal pH can be due to metabolic, respiratory, or mixed causes. Metabolic acidosis is due to a decreased bicarbonate level. Remember that the normal range for bicarbonate is 22 to 26 millimoles per liter. With metabolic acidosis, you would expect to see a decreased pH with a decreased bicarbonate level and a normal carbon dioxide level. Metabolic acidosis can be caused by several things, including sepsis, prematurity, PDA, neck, cold stress, asphyxia, and hypoperfusion. Metabolic acidosis can be corrected by giving a fluid bolus, increasing the daily volume of IV fluids given, adding more acetate to the IV fluids, or by giving intravenous bicarbonate or acetate. Respiratory acidosis occurs when there is an increased carbon dioxide level and a normal bicarbonate level. 
Remember, the normal range for carbon dioxide is 35 to 45 millimeters of mercury. Major causes of respiratory acidosis include hypoventilation, lung disease, or lung collapse. Respiratory acidosis can be corrected by increasing the ventilator settings to allow more removal of carbon dioxide. However, in some patients, it is not advantageous to achieve normal carbon dioxide levels, and achieving this goal can actually result in more harm. An example of this is a premature infant with chronic lung disease. If you remember from our previous section, every ventilator breath is an abnormal breath and can result in trauma to the lungs. This trauma can further worsen chronic lung disease, leading to a vicious cycle. In these patients, we allow the carbon dioxide levels to rise a little higher than normal, which is also known as permissive hypercapnia. This allows us to ventilate infants with a lower amount of support than the settings that would be used to give them a normal carbon dioxide level. By doing this, we minimize trauma from the ventilator. Let's switch gears and talk about alkalosis. A metabolic alkalosis occurs when there is too much bicarbonate in the blood. The most common causes of metabolic acidosis are iatrogenic causes, such as when there is too much acetate in the IV fluids or when a contraction alkalosis occurs due to diuretic therapy. Metabolic alkalosis can also occur as a compensatory mechanism in patients with chronic lung disease to balance their pH when there is a chronic respiratory acidosis. Metabolic alkalosis can be corrected by removing the offending agents that cause it. Decreasing the acetate in fluids or the doses of diuretic therapy can both help correct a metabolic alkalosis. A respiratory alkalosis occurs when the carbon dioxide level is low in the blood. Respiratory alkalosis occurs when the patient is hyperventilating. This can be due to the support we are providing or as a compensatory mechanism for a metabolic acidosis. A respiratory alkalosis can be corrected by decreasing the respiratory support or by correcting the underlying metabolic acidosis that is causing the patient to hyperventilate. It is important to correct a respiratory alkalosis as it can lead to decreased cerebral perfusion pressure. Finally, we will talk about general blood gas goals for different types of infants. For preterm infants, infants with hypoplastic lungs, or infants with chronic lung disease, the goal is usually a pH greater than 7.25, a carbon dioxide level less than 60 millimeters of mercury, and oxygen saturations between 88 and 93%. As mentioned earlier, achieving normal blood gas values in these infants will likely require a lot of respiratory support, which may result in more trauma to airway and lungs. In our unit, we will typically tolerate a carbon dioxide level in the 60s for infants who are on non-invasive support we will consider intubation when carbon dioxide levels reach into the 70s. For infants with persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn, meconium aspiration syndrome, or term infants with sepsis, we generally aim for more normal blood gas values. In these patients, the aim should be to keep the pH above 7.3, the carbon dioxide less than 55 millimeters of mercury, and the oxygen saturations greater than 95%. Acidosis and hypoxia should be avoided in these patients since these conditions can cause pulmonary vasoconstriction and worsening pulmonary hypertension. In closing, remember that every baby is unique and these parameters can change as their disease process changes. Please discuss the goals with your NICU team. In this podcast, we reviewed respiratory support and blood gases in the NICU. The next episode of this podcast reviews on-call pearls in the NICU. Please join us next time for the next edition of NICU Bootcamp.
This podcast was recorded and edited by me, Kirsty Martin. Music by Lobo Loco, Piano Man Sofa Sofa, ID 1157, through Creative Commons License, BY-NC-ND. Music can be found at www.musikbrause.de. These podcasts have been adapted from the open access lectures published with the paper Neonatal Intensive Care Unit Bootcamp, a Preparatory Curriculum for Residents by Dr. Jeffrey Surkoff and colleagues at Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center in New Orleans, Louisiana. The originally published curriculum can be found online at MedEd Portal, the Journal of Teaching and Learning Resources of the Association of American Medical Colleges.